Welcome to this episode of The Expert View. My name is Duncan Wilshire. I'm a trustee director here at 2020 Trustees, and I am joined by three experts, Hawken Blackster, uh, Chris Austin, and Jamie Madel. Um, we're going to talk about currency, we're going to talk about FX hedging, and we're going to talk about whether we as institutional investors are, are really spending enough time uh, thinking about these aspects in our portfolio and incorporate the, incorporating it into our day-to-day -day management of our, our funds. Certainly, you know, when, when I reflected on, on this uh, question myself, I would characterize my engagement with currency, with FX, as a consultant in my former life, um, as diminishing, certainly spent less time on it in the latter years than, than in the beginning. And as a, as a trustee, it's probably fair to say I've spent very little time on this um, for one reason or another. So, so maybe if I open up with you, Chris, um, whether that aligns with your experience uh, as a consultant at Mercer. Yeah, thanks, Duncan. Um, yeah, I, th I think, yeah, the first thing to say is I think most of the pension schemes we work with will have exposure to overseas currency risk and we'll have some form of policy for, for managing it, albeit some of those policies will be relatively informal. Um, I think, you know, historically that exposure has probably come more from global equity portfolios, um, but more recently, you know, there's been a focus on, on um, FX risk within global credit portfolios. You know, with lots of schemes moving towards that kind of runoff phase, you know, investing like an insurer, uh, and, you know, wanting to give the credit manager, a, you know, a wide opportunity to set and not just UK credits. Uh, probably also increasingly uh, for managing um, private market exposures, particularly, you know, private debt, uh, you know, and the complications that come with drawdowns and, and, and distributions and the timing of those. Um, I, I, you know, th I think in terms of, uh, you know, like you say, I think it's probably fair to say that currency risk, FX hedging, is a topic that doesn't get as much airtime as it probably should do at trustee meetings. Um, you know, I think most pension schemes, it's fair to say, would periodically review what they're doing around FX and you know understand the the impact of FX on on performance in in their reports. Um, but in terms of the implementation and you know the day to day management, you know, very often left to the investment managers or the custodian or, or those two parties working together. Um, you know, I think part of that. Um, you'll know more, more than me about this Duncan but you know trustees have got a huge uh, you know kind of pull on their time and list of things that they need to work through you know increasing expectations from regulators around uh, things like ESG um, things like the new code of practice for, from TPR uh, and so you know it's very much about a priority list um, uh, in, in terms of working its way up the uh, up the agenda uh, so, you know, I've got lots of sympathy for trustees that are kind of trying to juggle all those different priorities uh, in terms of what they spend their time looking at. Thanks. And um, Hawken, um, Validus Risk Management, you've got your fingertips on the assets, uh, ready to go on, on the trading platforms. Um, I guess you've got a very real and direct experience. W what's your take on this for pension schemes specifically? Yeah, thanks, Duncan. Um, so I think, as, as Chris alluded to, currency exposure is not a new risk for pension funds and certainly not one they are unaware of, let's say. Um, been many discussions on that topic over the years, formally through government-sponsored reviews, 
uh, financial regulations in some jurisdictions um, and informally through studies and reports commissioned by individual pension schemes and others. Uh, we do read about it sometimes in, in niche publications that, that cater for pensions and investment professionals. But I think the focus generally tends to be on, on hedging. You know, are we hedging? Are we not hedging? Should we be hedging? Um, and the trend on that front has not been very consistent over the years. Uh, we've certainly seen a lot of pension funds that used to hedge that have stopped hedging in some asset classes. Uh, some pension funds that never hedged and now started doing so. Um, and there are less binary changes happening too. You know, hedge ratios being adjusted. Uh, and in many cases, we can see that there is a link um, between that and 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 um, and volatility and, and historical performance. So, um, so what we're probably missing, at least from our perspective, um, even though there is no hard and fast rule on, on whether pension funds should hedge currency or not, uh, I think what we're missing is is this topic or discussion around determining the objectives uh, about currency exposure. Um, you know, what the I mean, the question, should you hedge or not, is kind of impossible to answer without first having the answer to, I guess, the more existential question, which is, is currency exposure desired or undesired? You know, is it a, is it a, a risk that we're compensated for? Um, if not, you know, what do we want to do about it? And how easy is that? Um, so many of the schemes that, that I've spoken to over the years will have different views on that and will sometimes mix those views. Uh, so I think most people will say that the currency risk is unwanted, uh, but even so, you still see a lot of the same pension funds will stop hedging after a period of, let's say, strengthening foreign currencies uh, because of that sentiment that they would have been better off if they hadn't hedged, right? But in doing so, they're actually taking a view that their unhedged currency exposure will generate excess returns. So all of a sudden, it becomes... Or they're kind of embedding that FX exposure into their investment strategy, which is not the same as risk management strategies. So, so I think that that's that's the discussion that we feel is missing a little bit, um, determining those proper objectives as to what do you want to do with that exposure. And um, once you've done that, you can obviously develop that into a strategic risk assessment, develop it into policies, um, and whatever the outcome of that, whether you decide that currency exposure is something that you want because of diversification, and maybe you want specific exposure to the dollar as a, as a hedge against uh, you know, some sort of uh, global meltdown, or if you decide that you want to hedge it all out, whatever the outcome, uh, I think it's also really important to measure the effect of, of the decisions that you make. So you know, having that performance framework uh, and monitor that over a long enough period of time. So what are the objectives and, and how are they being met? Um, but, I, but I wanted to make one other point about the market because what we are seeing and have seen recently, especially in the increased uptake and, and investment into uh, alternative investment funds and private capital in particular, is, um, is a lot of requirements from pension funds uh, to, to those fund managers to create solutions for them as it pertains to currency. So creating hedged currency feeders or, or, or hedged currency sleeves. Uh, and that's interesting because it does show us that pension funds do care about these, these risks and want them mitigated, um, but maybe they might not be able or willing to do it themselves. So that's, that's an interesting observation, which I'm sure we'll come back to. Thanks. Yeah, there's a whole lot in there that um, <laughs> I'd love to go into. But before we kind of get into the weeds there, I just want to introduce Jamie. Um, Jamie's from Kirkland and Ellis. And 
Jamie, what's your take on this, I guess, from, from a legal, from a regulatory background? Sure. So, look, I think FX, similar to rates in a way, um, has become at the same time simpler and more complicated. Um, I think simpler because there is, I think, a general sense amongst a lot of people in the space, particularly in, 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 in the private equity area, but I think generally across investment spectrums that this is a very simple thing. FX and rates are easy. It's just a rate swap. It's just a physically settled forward that you roll, something like that, right? Um, and that, I think, is disarming. Um, but I think when you couple that with the increasing complexity in the legal and regulatory side. We've got multiple layers of regimes now across border that regulate the treatment of derivatives. So we've got EMIR, which has been recently updated a couple times, as, as I'm sure our listeners know. Um, we've got uh, UK EMIR uh, post-Brexit. We've got um, the Swiss regulations. We've got U.S. regulations, which are actually divided up into two different sets, at least in the FX and the rate swap area, uh, which are relevant whenever a non-U.S. entity is transacting with a U.S. entity in many contexts, subject to certain substituted compliance stuff, which we can put aside for the moment. So there's all of this complexity, and unfortunately, these regimes are not all on the same level when it comes to treatment of certain products. So even something as simple as physically as a physically settled FX forward has been subject subject to enormous um, back and forth from a regulatory perspective to make sure that in various jurisdictions, margin requirements, for example, won't be required. Um, and so I think that what ends up happening, and this is almost a general observation, though I definitely think it's particularly applicable in pension area, I think people end up getting a little bit hesitant towards putting in place the infrastructure they need. Because when you've got particularly service providers, so let's say you're a pension and then you've got like a, an investment manager or a set of investment managers, you have to work with those managers to get those managers comfortable about your status under the various regulations that are continuously changing. They then have to make sure that when they're going out and implementing programs for you, that they're implementing programs that are consistent with what they, what, what you have told them, or you think you have told them about the mandate and, and, and what your status is. And that can create a lot of backlogs, which are really frustrating. And that's the second thing that's very frustrating, right? Clients often come to you with questions about FX risk uh, when they're worried about FX risk, right? It's sort of like people want to buy hurricane insurance when they hear their, the forecast that the hurricane is coming. Um, that's not right prudent risk management necessarily. And again, it's not to say that you should hedge or you shouldn't hedge, but your policies, your procedures, your coordination amongst investment managers and internal trading and, and, um, and, and overlay managers, et cetera, those should all be holistically tied, in my view at least, under a generalized framework of what do we want to tolerate in terms of risk? Um, so you solve a lot of these headaches in terms of the legal regulatory onboarding nonsense one time, ideally, you set up a, res a resilient and stable platform. And you try to minimize balkanization where, you know, one custodian is doing, is trading under their program and another manager is, is doing a sleeve and you want things to be consistent. Um, and then you can make decisions based on, on risk management, not necessarily on, what bandwidth in your service providers is available at given time um, based on 
a perceived immediate exigency. So I think that the legal and regulatory piece is not overtly complicated. It just throws a monkey wrench into the establishment of these plans. And oftentimes, even when you're coordinating with investment managers, for example, if they're setting up a, a hedged feeder for you, there are a lot of ways to set up a hedged feeder. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of complexity that can go into the operative documentation. Um, are you hedging NAV or are you just hedging basis? Are people in, are their pensions investing in their local currency or their, or let's say, for example, the USD equivalent of their local currency? These are all wrinkles that also take a lot of time and then are also dependent on the investment manager's degree of sophistication, understanding the derivatives regulations that are applicable to them, particularly in the margining area. So I think it all just goes to, to say, these are all things that I think have made, have made the conversation more tricky and have caught people a little bit off guard because they have thought of FX trading in particular as an increasingly uh, simplistic asset class. Chris, Jamie just referenced kind of asset class there. Um, just, I guess, kind of cards on the table at the beginning. When we talk about currency, when we talk about FX hedging, it, you know, sh should trustees be thinking about this as an asset class or, or, or really just as a risk mitigation tool? Um, yeah, th thanks, Duncan. Um, yeah, I mean, I, it, it does vary by scheme, but, uh, you know, I'd say the majority fall in, in the latter in terms of, you know, the starting point for them is that they're, they're investing overseas. It means there's a currency risk. How do they manage it in a pragmatic manner? And ideally, looking towards things like head share classes, where it takes a lot of that 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 kind of regulatory and governance burden away from them, um, at, le at least from a kind of first order perspective. Um, I think in terms of in terms of other areas, I, you know, I think I think most trustees don't hold particularly strong views on the kind of relative value of currencies at a particular time, so you know, aren't looking to make um, you know tactical um, decisions about about currencies. But it has been, it has been uh, as has been alluded to, um, I think it's all about the, you know, having a long-term strategy um, uh, in terms of how you want to manage currency risk. I, I think the kind of instances of where, you know, it might fall into more of an active management role might be, you know, if you're using a hedge fund and that's part of their opportunity set, then fine. Same with DGFs in the UK. I think, um, and Duncan, you may have come across some of this, you know, where a fiduciary manager is involved and there's more of a kind of ongoing oversight that allows discretionary views. Since, you know, some, some fiduciary managers will take more of a view on, on currencies within the kind of risk budget that they're, they're given. Um, but yeah, very much the starting point for most pension schemes is, um, you know, this is a risk that we'd, we'd like to either mitigate or at least, at least reduce. Um, and, and, you know, my experience is that, you know, for, for equity exposure, most pension schemes land on somewhat hedging somewhere between 50 and 100 percent of fixed income. You know, the default normally ends up at hedging all of it, given that, you know, the relative volatility. So th there is some science that goes into it and, you know, it'll depend on how big a risk it is uh, for pension schemes. But, for, you know, for the vast majority of, of, of investors, you know, they are looking for a pragmatic approach from us in terms of, uh, our advice. Um, you know, I, before we came on, I looked at our, our 2020 asset allocation survey that's done across all of our uh, investor base. And it shows that, you know, just over 40% of our clients are now hedging at least 60% of the currency risk. It, it was slightly lower a few years ago. Um, and, you know, it's, it's difficult to unpick across all of them. 
and to Hacken's point, sometimes you know these things go up the the priority list for different reasons. I think for UK investors, the fact that sterling has depreciated lots in you know prior to. Uh, 2019, 2020 gave them an opportunity to say, "Oh, you know, we don't want this risk. Let's hedge a bit more," uh, and that's what we've that's what we've seen. We've also just seen clients generally want to reduce risks across the board if their funding positions improve. So, you know, why not take up um, some some risk? Um, but yeah, very, very much varies uh, depending on on the starting point. Uh, I'm sure you know similar to what what you see, Duncan. And I would just to be clear, like I would totally agree with that. Um, you know, when I when I say hedging is uh, FX is an asset class, I just really mean in terms of the technicals of it. Um, but I absolutely agree. I mean, the, the baseline assumption, right, is 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 that your your approaches with respect to FX, right, are really macro hedging type of um, type of type of approaches, not necessarily targeted investment strategies in making money off of FX volatility. Yeah, I, I agree with that and, and, and agree with everything Chris said. And I, it is interesting with currencies because, um, you know, very specifically, it's hard to argue that it is an asset class because if you think about all asset classes, their worth is measured in money, whereas currency literally is money. You can't buy a currency as an asset. You have to buy some other asset that is denominated in that currency. So whether that's cash or bonds or whatever. So, uh, but it is an expression of the monetary system itself. So while it's not an asset in its own right, it has vast influence over the valuation of assets. So as to your point, Jamie, it's a macro um, exposure that you have and, and, and need to be dealt with. And Chris referenced there, and I think you did earlier as well, Hawken, about you know having a strategy. Um, Chris talked about the pension scheme investors, and, and this correlates with my experience as well, effectively picking a number between 50 and 70 or 50 and 80. And then often that just stays in situ for quite a long period of time. I just wondered how that compares across the kind of broader investor base when, when thinking about strategies or how you think about setting strategies. Yeah, so I mean, I think if we, if we look at the broader market, and obviously there are a lot of um, uh, players in, in this market and lots of money managers of different kinds. Um, and, and I think, you know, when I look at pension funds versus, let's say, an asset manager or a fund manager, uh, the biggest uh, difference really is, is, is the structure. Um, you, you see, you know, fund managers are generally held more directly accountable than, than pension funds simply due to the structure and the composition of their stakeholders. And this is not you know, just for the avoidance of doubt and not challenging the governance structure of pension funds, uh, but it's just it's just the, how, how it's structured. You know, you can't have uh, all future um, pensioners dictating how the, the fund should be run. Um, but with a normal fund manager, you do have those investors actively, whether they are intending to invest or whether they're already investing, uh, very actively instructing uh, and requesting and asking uh, questions of that fund manager relating to investment performance, risk management, fees, uh, you name it. Uh, so I think for that reason, fund managers have just been forced to, uh, to, to, you know, to deal with these things. And also there's a lot of competition uh, now more than, than ever. So in order to beat the benchmark, um, you know, it's really key to, 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 to have a very tight hold on all on all risks so a euro funds performance is going to be measured in euros um, so despite having assets in other countries um, it's still euros that count so if they're not managing that currency risk well 
that could be the difference between upper and lower quartile performance at the end of the day. Um, and then going back to the point about, about hedged feeder funds and, and, and sleeves, um, fund managers constantly have to address investors' needs and requirements. So um, by having created these, these solutions, they, they, they just have more experience and are more accustomed to um, identifying currency risk and, and managing that. Um, and they tend to be more nimble. Um, but it is worth, I think, worth mentioning that currency risk management is, or at least can be, very complex. Um, and it does require an area of expertise, which is quite different from normal investment management or even general risk management. Uh, so it is fairly common for, for those fund managers and asset managers and many institutional investors to seek specialist advice and outsource solutions when, when managing currency risk. So I think um, there's a couple of things that we're seeing, you know, trends in the market. So obviously that's one, people are using specialist advisors more um, and almost as a fiduciary manager would be. So, um, you know, and, and we're one of them. So we will take a fiduciary responsibility to, to those clients and act in their best interest as an extended member of their team. Uh, that's again, easier for a fund manager to do. Um, it's probably easier for a fiduciary manager to do. It's probably harder for a pension fund uh, and the various components of that, trustees, pension fund committees, advisory panels, administering authorities. You know. uh, so there is obviously a complexity there that needs to be solved in terms of the operational aspects, um, which is why I, I always say, you know, these solutions that are provided by fund managers is helpful, you know, creating uh, feeder fund, hedge feeder funds and, and share classes. Um, it is also helpful where, whether it's fiduciary managers, you know, and people like consultants like Mercer or, or, or fund of funds, et cetera, uh, can, can, can assist with this. Um, but I also think there is improvement to be made also in the pension fund space to be more mindful of the holistic nature of currency exposure on, on their entire portfolio. And not just today, but, you know, five years into the future, 10 years into the future, you know, 30 years into the future. So. So that's kind of our perspective on it. Okay, so so I think if, if I'm hearing that right, um, there's certainly some benefit in taking a holistic um, overview approach to it. So, you know, engaging with specialists and the like, but actually if, you know, pension scheme trustee of ABC pension scheme who has some assets and some money to look after, actually just using the, uh, fund managers hedged share class of something is a perfectly reasonable approach to take rather than necessarily going too far into the weeds. But again, it's just making sure that you're consciously making that decision and that it's in the context of a, a broader strategy. Is that a fair summary? Yeah, I think that's a good, good summary. And I'll add to that very quickly that um, obviously it depends because if you have, if your objective, going back to what I said before, if, if, if you're setting the objectives and it is to really reduce as far as possible the currency risk, and then this is a really good way of doing it to a, to a certain extent. Um, but it might not always fit everyone's objectives. And, and I'll give you one case in point. We were working with a, a Canadian pension fund um, a couple of years ago. And as many of you know, the, the Canadian pension funds are really the forefront of you know, direct investing. A lot of them you know, invest directly in private assets. And they also do a lot of the hedging themselves. Um, and they were investing in a private debt fund in Europe, uh, which offered uh, a, a dollar, dollar hedge sleeve, basically. Um, and they decided not to go for that because the 
um, the, the hedging strategy that was used uh, was really designed to limit liquidity risk, i.e. Uh, having to post collateral or, or mar for margin calls, which is really something that can be very um, detrimental to a close-ended fund. Um, so this pension fund decided that, look, you know, we don't have the same issue with liquidity. We can handle that ourselves. Um, and we'd rather hedge this in a way that's cheaper um, and then just deal with the liquidity risk ourselves. So they actually opted to go for the, uh, the, Euro, the Euro master fund and then hedge it themselves. So it does depend. Uh, and I think, but certainly for those that don't have all of that infrastructure and, you know, it can be really helpful um, to have other people manage it on your behalf, even though it might not be optimal, um, it might be better than doing nothing. I think it's I think it's a little bit um a little bit like right if you're really 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 handy like some of those Canadian uh, pension plans are and I've I've worked with some of them and friends with some of them right you maybe you just you just want to have some consulting advice right from a from a, a shop like Validus to to get the architecture plans in place for you but then you can build it right and you can manage it yourself which is different from others right who may not only need the architect but they also need the contractor right and and they need the whole staff of, of people to like implement and maintain and build I think that's a helpful a bit of a helpful analogy and I think that the other thing though that that's really important to take into consideration is I think you know Hawkins suggests right not every manager not every advisor is as sophisticated not every consultant isn't sophisticated right so like Baladis right obviously good experience with them we know how sharp they are but not everybody's the same. Um, and not every investment manager is equally up to speed on, on the regulatory and legal framework. And that can, in some instances, right, lead to situations where, whether it's because of margining or structuring to avoid margining or things like that, you can have structures that look like it's a binary choice, like, oh, here's a hedged feeder, use it. But it's actually not a binary choice because it turns out that, yeah, yeah, you could use that hedged feeder, but there are going to be costs that uh, are accretive to the way that that was set up. And you may not need that. Um, and so I think that makes it extra important, right, that it's not just like you're going and saying, okay, well, we have a hedge plan. Here's how much we want to hedge. We're going to delegate it to people. That's fine, but I think you still need to have a sense of internal understanding. And if you don't have that, then a reliable partner who can help you assess what's going on down here and making reasoned decisions. Because again, it's not a binary hedge or not hedge. It's often hedge or not hedge, and if hedge, how? And, and what are the nuances of how it's being implemented? Because there's a lot, as Hoffman noted, there's a lot of drag that can be created in the wrong hedging strategy. Thanks, Jamie. And I think, you know, from your opening statements, I wasn't sure if I was afraid because it's so very complicated or uh, kind of embracing the fact that there are paths through this. I think, you know, what you've just described to me says, the reality is that it's complicated. And, and certainly if you go down a kind of segregated, do your own thing route, there's some complexity to it, but actually working with the right people, working with the right partners, you can navigate quite easily through that. Working with people who don't necessarily know the ins and outs of it can um, create, like you say, some, some drag. Grant, all right, well, thank you very much, everybody. Um, I guess, just conscious of time, we could do with just wrapping this up and any final thoughts that you might have. Uh, my head's a blur of, of uh, things to try to take on board and take back to the schemes with which I, I work with. But um, if you've got any key takeaways you'd 
want to uh, just land, that would be quite helpful. So maybe if I, I point to you first, Jamie. Sure. I think um, try to try to make sure that um, that you keep abreast at a high level, at least, of the changing landscape from a legal and regulatory perspective. And in my experience, the best way to do that is to you know make friends with a couple nice lawyers and uh, consulting folks like you know um, like Hagen who can. Pick, who will pick up your calls, you know, even if it's not on a billable basis and will be willing to socialize with you, don't be afraid of some of the fundamentals. They're not that hard to understand. They're just constantly changing, which is a headache. And so I, I would strongly suggest have, nurture those connections um, and try to put use that knowledge to put a little pressure on service providers, whether those are managers or otherwise, to make sure that you can get a sense of, do they really know how this market works or are they just faking it? Chris, any final thoughts? You know, my one takeaway is certainly, you know, don't forget currency risk. And, you know, lots of UK pension schemes de-risk, you know, focusing on the interest rate risk, the equity risk. You know, don't forget that, you know, you might have a private debt fund denominated in US dollars. Um, and, you know, we're in, a, we're in a world with low yields and low spreads. So, you know, every, every little counts. And the kind of drags that, that you know, Hacken and his team can identify, um, you know, it's all going to help in terms of, you know, running off these low risk portfolios, uh, you, you know, making sure you get the return that you, you expect. Hawken, any final thoughts from you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's slightly repetition, but I think it's uh, it's going to be important to, to just push the, the, the topic of currency exposure and how you manage it a little bit further up the agenda. Um, and also just, you know, determine, do, do the research and determine a, a strategy or objectives for how you're going to deal with it and um and it's going to be different for different people uh but it is uh, it, it does represent a meaningful uh risk uh, so so it is going to be important to to assess and then create that framework to to measure that performance versus those objectives you set over over a significant period of time and then avoid any knee-jerk reactions uh, or short-term decisions that's um that's really the summary from my side Okay, well, thanks everyone. Um, that's been really interesting and enlightening and certainly given me some action points to raise this on the various agendas of the trustee boards that I sit on. I think I can think of a few instances where it's probably about time we, we put currency hedging back on the agenda and reevaluate what we're doing. So thank you very much everyone for your input.